You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Hello, welcome. I'm Claire Pedrick and today at the Coaching Inn we have Jenny Forge. Jenny is a doctor, psychiatrist, coach, author and most significantly I think I love to call you my friend, Jenny. I think that's the most important bit for me for this conversation. Um, And uh, Jenny's just written a book, uh, finally, because I've known it's been coming for a long time. And I'm so absolutely delighted to be holding it in my hot, sticky hand uh, called Coaching in Mental Health Service Settings and Beyond. And it's just absolute delight to have somebody who's working in mental health um, to have written a book about using coaching. So welcome, Jenny. Hi, Claire. Welcome. Thank you very much for that very nice introduction. And uh, <laughs> it's um, it, it has been it has been a journey. And I must say that, you know, all the way along, you were the person who sort of started me off in coaching. And uh, so, yeah, owe, owe a lot to you. Thank you. Well, I've learned a lot about mental health from you. So it's a bit of a quid pro quo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what was the real push for you to write this? I think my main, my main point, because it is a book mainly directed at um, mental health practitioners, although it's not solely for them. My main point was that I want to emphasise that the use of coaching approaches in mental health service settings can be really valuable um, you know, for, for service users and families, for the staff. Um, and I just think that for me, it made a, the sort of coaching skills knowledge made a massive difference to the way I practice in terms of really um, giving the focus to the things that are important for the people I meet with. So if I'm a patient, or the parent of one of your patients, what's different? I think that my emphasis is it's very much about your agenda. I mean, obviously there are caveats. If there's if there's safeguarding or legality issues, then then you know, or kind of severe mental illness that means that people can't think straight um, or they're they're really out of touch with reason, that's a different matter. But I think that the the main difference is that. It, with a coaching approach in consultations, we, we would focus much more on, well, what, what are the important goals for you? What is going to make your life um, better? You know, the, the traditional approach um, in, in mental health, the traditional clinical approach has been about eliminating symptoms, you know, in short, helping people feel better as defined by the doctor society, you know, whereas this approach enables you to kind of think about recovery or getting, getting better much more in terms of, well, what's, what's important for that person? What's going to make their life uh, easier, more fulfilling to live? Wow. Wow. And so what's the kind of feedback you're getting? Yeah, very positive feedback. Um, well, of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think that it's the fact that I've got positive feedback that has enabled me to to really develop. But having having coaching skills is a really valuable um, 
aspect to a mental health practitioner's repertoire uh, to be able to use them when appropriate. Because I think as, as practitioners, our role traditionally is to sort of try and fix things. Mm. And that's, as, that's okay as far as it goes. But I think a coaching approach, um, particularly in some areas of mental health, um, is going to be much more useful because what we need to do is, is support people to make the changes that are going to be meaningful to them. So we're more facilitating rather than fixing. And I think that that also has huge benefits, actually, for, for the practitioners involved, because my experience is, both personally and having worked with people over the years, that there's often this feeling of over-responsibility as the clinician or as the practitioner, that you've got to sort absolutely everything, mm. when really that's, that's just not realistic. There's so many other factors, and it can be quite disempowering sometimes for people um, to imply that the, the, the practitioner is the total expert who's got all the answers. There are times when actually people do feel the need just to say, okay, I, I'm not coping, help me. And that's, you know, I think that that's the skill actually in, in some kind of coaching work um, in this field is to know when it's appropriate. Because sometimes people just need looking after they need compassion they need somebody to cry with somebody to listen to them they need to be heard and at other times when hopefully they're feeling a bit more robust what they find more helpful is somebody to support and challenge them to move in the direction that they want to go so a real empowerment there yeah that's what i that's what i'm aiming for um and one one of the most rewarding pieces of work actually that i did was um, with a group, a parent carer support group. Um, and that was using coaching sessions with the person who um, was instrumental in, in setting up that group. Um, but then also doing some coaching work within the group itself um, or using a, using a coaching approach. I'm not kind of talking about sort of formal coaching sessions, but using those skills of, of kind of really encouraging people to to think about possibilities and options um, and to think about their values their strengths their ways forward and that's all about coaching being optimistic and future focused isn't it that there's hope yeah. in it yeah definitely and I think that that's one of the things um, one of the things that I think is so important and also from my own experience of having recovered from severe physical illness that having hope um you know being realistically optimistic i'm not saying just pretending everything is is rosy and being false you know being falsely positive but i think you know when you feel a bit more hopeful you can also be a bit more accepting of yourself the situation and others so yeah being being hopeful is a is a really important part of it and being future focused which you know obviously coaching is predominantly about you know the present and the future that's not to say that there's not relevance um in the past because we all need to learn from the past and kind of move of on um you know so I'm not saying that we would that in my practice now that I would not go back to the past because of course that's really yeah. important but there is an emphasis of okay so what now yeah yeah and there can be a what now yes 
and that's an it, and I think also just sort of going back to, to what I said there are you know you when people are at their lowest points or at their most anxious or at their most muddled they're not really going to be able to think about what now or what future of course but, but um you know so that's I know I'm repeating myself but it's getting back to that point about get the timing right to, yeah. to introduce a coaching approach yeah. um you know and, and sometimes people um will get stuck on a on a sort of almost rather negative script and a coaching approach that's future focused and realistically optimistic can help to sort of move them on um from from that fantastic so what's your dream if if you could kind of wave a magic wand and and have this beautiful book have its biggest impact in the world yeah what would, what's your dream Jenny oh there we go big <laughs> big big question I guess that I would really love love it for mental health practitioners to routinely incorporate some coaching skills into their work and health practitioners more widely actually and I know that a lot of them, and if there are mental health practitioners listening, they'd probably say, well, I use, I use coaching anyway, I, you know, because there is an assumption, I think, amongst some um, health practitioners that they'll automatically be good at coaching, that coaching is sort of part of what they do anyway. And again, that may well be true up to a point, and they may have the talents and aptitudes that make them good coaches. But I found myself, when I trained as a coach, I'd really made some assumptions that I would automatically be good at coaching um, because I've been a clinician for so long. But it's more about, I think, unlearning, um, you know, sort of being less of an expert. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're paid to be experts in, in the NHS, so we, we don't need to, we shouldn't uh, take that hat off altogether. But there are times actually, you know, where, when really we have to acknowledge we're not the experts on people's lives. They are the experts on how they live their lives. So I think my dream would be for all health practitioners to really understand what coaching is and to incorporate it, you know, when the time is right and in appropriate ways to how they work. Yeah, yeah. And the kind of coaching that we're talking about here is facilitating somebody else to come up with their own solutions, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's not a formulaic set of questions. Um, you know, I think that, I think that um, those sorts of sets of questions that sometimes we learn, learn as coaches, sort of series of questions to get to a certain point, they can be incredibly useful. But I think it's part of the, part of the getting this right is getting the balance between structure and looseness in a conversation and if you have a set series of questions that you run through as the coach or in the coaching role you're not really so much thinking about the person that you're with and what they're saying you're thinking about what question do I ask next so it's really got to be sort of flexible I've heard that term agile coaching before I haven't read a lot about it but I suspect that that's what I'm talking about maybe it's, it's being able to sort of really um I've heard you use that phrase dance in the moment yeah. um it's it's kind of thinking about um that that maybe that maybe sounds a bit flowery but you know what I mean I, I think it's that um that sort of really being receptive to what's going on and that's where the old attentive listening comes in as well 
Yeah, and it's the extra value that comes from being a human with a human yeah, rather than a human with uh, an app with those questions on. Yes. Because yes. an app with those questions on actually has, has a place. Yes. But if it's a human asking questions, we've got to respond to what happens and it's about timing, isn't it? And it's about tone and yes. it's about all kinds of things. Yeah, and I think that the, the principles that underline some of those sets of questions, we can still adhere to whilst being flexible and that it's that really you know cultivating that self-awareness and the awareness of the person that we're with and we can do that virtually as, as well as face to face obviously you know, absolutely some sometimes I mean I know that you you know you've been working virtually for, for years and years and years I was really sort of thrust into it at the start <laughs> of the pandemic but I I still I still you know old habits die hard I still have a preference myself for working face to face with people um, and it feels it feels more immediate but but yes that kind of constant um, almost unconscious or partly conscious checking in where is that person now where am I it, well it's kind of empathy isn't it really mm. it's um, yeah and it's it's so important and it's not to be underestimated I think if people are if people are fired a sort of set of questions boom 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 um, they really don't feel so heard. So that's, that's an important thing. Because even if they're positive questions, they sound, they feel like an interrogation, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I want, you know, that, that your thing about really simple questions comes back time and time again. You're not interrupting someone's flow. So that sort of, you know, just the dropping in of a, an and or a really or a what else, all those sorts of things are, are key, aren't they? Yeah, and I, as you're talking, I can. this is slightly different, but I think it, it's the same sort of thing. I can remember being with our neighbour when he was dying and his wife asked me to go in um, because a health professional that he hadn't seen before was coming to visit. And um, the question that, that the reason the health professional was coming was a very specific, I can't remember what, but it was a, a specific kind of sophisticated, how do I manage this bit question? Yeah. And, and she said, before we start speaking, I need to ask you some questions. Have, his speech was going, he had motor neurone disease, his speech was going, so mm. speaking was difficult. You know, so she goes, have you ever smoked? And I'm sitting there thinking, mm. number one, every health professional who he's spoken to has asked him that question. Number two, mm. he's, going to, he's going to die in the next few weeks, probably, mm. what value yeah. does asking that question add for yeah. him in this moment? And then we got, have you ever drunk? Have you ever done this? And actually, it it was something about the question was something about swallowing, or I can't remember what it was, mm. but it was it was all they wanted to know was: is there a way in which you can help us to do this thing? Yes. Yeah. And. Those are health related questions, but those those kind of stop coaching questions can feel like that, can't they? You yes. know, why? Yeah. I just want to talk about this. Yes. Yeah. And you're asking me about that. Yeah. And that being that being in tune with where a person's at and starting where they are is so important. And I think in order to do that, whether you're a coach or a mental health practitioner or a health practitioner 
or all three or you know that that is is such an important thing isn't it to sort of being and, and sorry what I was saying was to do that you need space to reflect you need to kind of give yourself a little bit of time to reflect and actually clock where where is this person right now what's going to be most useful for them and I do think that you know that applies in terms of silence sometimes sometimes it's you know important not to ask a question isn't it so that that um I think it was Nancy Klein or you know the, the time to think people say you know for the coach to run through their mind is what I want to say next more important than giving this person silence so that they can think what they're thinking mm-hmm. um and I think that that's you know that's really valuable as well the other thing though that I would say is that some you know it, again it's all a question of balance isn't it because sometimes you do get people who really just want to vent and go over and over the the same old thing um and I know that you use that question something like um how long how long do you need to get this off your chest before we can start to do something about it or so some yeah I think my version is a bit more polite (laughs) (laughs) yes that does sound a little bit impertinent doesn't it but but that that kind of idea about um you know we we need to we need to get on here and it's it's that sort of you don't want to rush people but you you don't want to get stuck on a on a certain on a certain thing. And so I often say, you know, when I and I, I think I probably got this from you, I got a lot of stuff from you, um, is you know, at the beginning to to let people know or to ask people actually probably more accurately, is it okay to interrupt? Is it, you know, because I think and I, I find this in group situations as well. So focus groups and things like that, where I think also a coaching type approach can be quite useful in facilitating those groups is to say at the beginning, you know, forgive me, um, I may need to interrupt, um, but, you know, is that okay? And so then when you do interrupt, they don't feel quite so, oh, I've been cut off in my prime, but interrupting, you know, timely interrupting and in a good way, obviously more tactfully than I described there, is, um, is, (laughs) uh, is is a key skill as well, I think. Yeah, and it's about future focused interrupting, isn't it? So to say, so let's just check in here, what do we need to do now? rather than we have completely gone off track yes <laughs> you, you yes. very bad people yes okay that's that's true that's that whole idea of kind of bringing a bit of uh, judgment into it yeah, yeah. sort of the vent the venting one if people want to know is I say is it useful to take five minutes just to get that off your chest yeah is five minutes going to be enough yeah because that boundary is the time so that we don't lose the beautiful space and time that we've got to do some good stuff with them just going over and over yeah you're dead right that does sound very much better (laughs) (laughs) how long rather than how long are you going to need to carry on with this yeah (laughs) so what makes your book different from other coaching books well I think it's the fact that it incorporates a lot of experience from different perspectives so experience from the perspective of being a medical doctor being a psychiatrist being a coach as well and being somebody who has um you know and I, I'm sure actually there are probably lots of coaching books where people have had serious illnesses themselves but having having had a serious illness myself and having had some coaching that really helped me um sort of think about how I wanted to go forward following that experience So what makes my book different is that I suppose I bring a number of perspectives 
and for people working in in mental health sphere which and, and it is directly mainly for those people although you could argue that all coaches are working very much within the mental health sphere um that uh you know i i think that those different perspectives add value yeah yeah so there's a lot of wisdom from a lot of deep experience because I think that's what makes you unique Jenny is that you've got deep experience as a psychiatrist you're a professional certified coach so you've got a lot of experience in coaching you've got a lot of experience in coaching in a medical setting colleagues and yeah and service users so so you've got you've got lots of buckets of depth Yes. And, and thank you. And I also think that, that, that all these experiences sort of constantly remind me that there's that real same boatness. Yeah, um, absolutely. About it all, you know, that um, whether, whether, you know, we're service users, um, practitioners, whatever, whatever role we have, there's, there's more that sort of we have in common and we can really, um, we can really draw on that to support each other. That sounds a bit schmaltzy, but you know what I mean. Right. But yeah, yeah, I like your wisdom. Thank you. And, and there's so much wisdom in the book that makes it a really great read, I think, for people in the health world. Thank you. So what about the... The, the question that in fact will be coming back to in two weeks with Verity Simcox about how do coaches engage around the boundary between yeah. what's okay and what's not okay in yeah. relation to mental health? Yeah, I think that there, there used to be a rather, um, I was going to say false, but it's kind of an unrealistic division between people saying what's coaching and what's a mental health issue. I think it's much more of a spectrum because I think, you know, every coach is going to encounter people who are, you know, at times, you know, in, in varying degrees of emotional stress and distress. Um, and I think, you know, that that self-awareness, that tuning into the situation, that, you know, bringing some real common sense to the situation is, is very important. I think it's coaches need to know the limits of their um, training and experience in the same way that any practitioner does you know co coaches can't assume that they're going to be good therapists good therapists can't assume they're going to be good coaches um, so I think that it's it's knowing the professional whether they're a coach practitioner needs to know themselves and the limits of their of their knowledge and I think for coaches dealing with mental health difficulties that emerge in the room in front of them and there's a section in the book about about trauma I know that other authors have written a lot in a lot more detail about trauma and coaching but I think it's that awareness is key that being in tune with the person um, being on the on the lookout for safeguarding issues and really knowing where the supports are that you can call on as a coach if you feel in deep water and this is where you know, the importance of contracting um, really comes in and, and sort of being clear about confidentiality and the limits of that confidentiality at the beginning. So um, I was speaking with a coach recently who said that they, you know, for the first time in very many years, they'd encountered somebody who literally 
seemed to, you know, become really quite emotionally ill, mentally ill in front of them. And they said it, it, it happened, hadn't happened to that extent before, but this coach was extremely um, grateful that they knew about who to turn to and the structures within the organization. And, you know, the, 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 I think that knowledge, having done your homework around the situation and being clear um, is an important sort of safety net, really. I don't know, whether does that answer what you were asking, Claire? Yes, it does. And I think there's something, we're going to do a podcast in next month about disaster ethics. Oh. And I think one of the disaster ethics things that is really worth people thinking through is if you are working internally, then you already know and if you don't know, you can practically find out what do I do if somebody comes to me in that extreme distress where something where some action needs to be taken. Yeah. For coaches who are coaching externally, that's a really important thing to think through. What am I going to do mm. when that happens? Because it will. Yeah. And and where do I go and what's safe? And if I'm working with somebody outside of my own country or inside my own country, do I know what action I'm going to take in that moment? Because I think that when you're when you've just got it in the back of your mind, mm -hmm. then then that reduces your anxiety about and allows you to be much more alert and aware and noticing to see yeah. that it's coming up. Yeah. And I, I think I think that that's that, you know, those are really important points. And I hadn't actually thought, I know you do a lot of work with people in other countries. I hadn't thought, my goodness, what happens if, you know, because I've got no idea about the sort of the health systems or the supports in different places. But think these things through and talk about them with, you know, in, with supervision or other coaches. And so have a plan. It's the same. You know, we live in a new house at the moment. If anything happens with the plumbing, we ring the developer and they send somebody around straight away. But actually, I also know the name of the plumber and the number so that when that's not going to work anymore, I'm not anticipating any problems with the plumbing, but I have a number. Yes. And I know and I know what I'll do. Yeah. On the day yeah. that happens, because on the day that happens, if there's water spurting out of everywhere, the last thing I need to be doing is going, well, how do I find a plumber? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So that, that kind of idea about having some forward planning, knowing the territory is important. And then in addition to that, very much being in tune and flexible with what's happening, because one of the things, you know, and it still causes me anxiety, you know, having after all these years, I still worry, have I done the right thing? Have I said the right thing sometimes to people? That doesn't go away. And I think that sometimes there's a, a yearning to have a kind of formulaic right answer to know exactly what to do in certain situations and we don't you know we very often don't know exactly what to do in certain situations but there's a certain degree of if you know that you've really been attentive to what's going on um, and you're calm enough to reflect in the moment you can trust to a certain degree that you you will make a good decision um, so you might not have every kind of I dotted and T crossed for all the contingencies that occur, but you can have some faith about, okay, I know that when I hit this kind of uncharted territory, I can find a way through. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some, you know, there, there aren't easy answers. And I guess that's the nature of a, 
of some of these dilemmas and certainly ethical dilemmas or clinical dilemmas that you know that's why they're so thorny because there, there yeah. aren't any easy answers yeah. and you have to kind of do the best you can in the circumstances that you're in at the time and you need to have the right mindset in order to be able to work in that way mm. Mm. yeah yes yeah. so it's about mindset it's about information mm. and it's about it's about dancing in the moment it's about working out together what needs to happen yeah and I do think and I you know this I know that compassion is has been a bit of a buzzword over over recent years but I really think it can't be um overstated really I do think that sometimes when there aren't easy answers in a situation and I'm not talking about kind of really saccharine syrupy compassion I'm talking about compassion about really kind of solidarity with somebody um really kind of connecting with them in a in a in a kind of solid way that even if there's not much else you can do in some of these horrible situations that you know I'm not saying that coaches will routinely find themselves in it but certainly you know people working in crisis teams and things that may well do that that is that is so important mm. Mm. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming to the Coaching Inn. It's always a pleasure. Oh, are we done? Pleasure. We are. Oh, that's that. We are. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, brilliant. That was, that was quicker. That went quicker than I anticipated, Claire. It's lovely. Thank you. So if you want to read uh, Jenny's book, it's Coaching in Mental Health Service Settings and Beyond by Jenny Forge. And if people want to get in touch with you, Jenny, how do they do um, that? Uh, LinkedIn message. Okay. Please. And I'll put your LinkedIn on the show notes. Great. Thank so you very much, Claire. It's a pleasure. If you had one thing that you could leave our listeners with right here, right now, what would it be? It would be if you're a mental health practitioner, um, develop your coaching skills to use at times in your work. And the second thing, actually, give you two. Second thing is, if you're if you're a coach, then really having an awareness about mental health issues, well-being will enhance your coaching. Brilliant. Thank you, Jenny. So I'm Claire Pedrick and I've been in conversation with Dr. Jenny Forge, PCC, author of Coaching in Mental Health Service Settings and Beyond. Bye bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.